Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Mariam Farag, and I'm the editor of Aquaculture North America. This episode is definitely an exciting one, as we have an in-depth conversation with Bruce Salmon, Interim Executive Director at BC Salmon Farmers Association, who shares with us behind-the-scenes stories, discussions, and conversations that took place in British Columbia in the last few months. Ruth Salmon is a seasoned agri-food professional with a passion for aquaculture. After beginning her career in the Canadian dairy industry, she served as executive director of the BC Shellfish Growers, followed by 10 years as executive director with the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. Since 2017, Ruth has worked closely with the BC Salmon Farmers Association, first as senior advisor and now as interim executive director, acting as a strong advocate for industry's sustainable growth with government politicians and officials. I'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Bruce Salmon. First of all, I want to kick off this episode by saying thank you so much, Ruth, uh, for taking the time to talk with us on this podcast today. Oh, you're it's, welcome. It's an honor, really, especially with everything that's been going on in the past few months uh, in BC. It's very interesting to speak with someone who's been witnessing this firsthand, right? Intense, for sure. I know you and the BC Salmon Farmers Association have had a very eventful spring, to say the least. Uh, so why don't we go straight into it and share with our listeners what have happened in the past few months in BC? Sure. Well, I guess you know that the uh, Minister of Fisheries and Oceans uh, just at the end of June uh, made a decision to extend the licenses outside of the Discovery Islands for another two years. Um, so while that doesn't give us, um, you know, the investor confidence that we were hoping for, it's not a long license. But we're actually very pleased uh, that that's been the result because what that gives us is a consultation process that we've been asking for really ever since the whole discussion of the of transition came about. And so that's what we anticipate being involved in over the next year. It will be intense. There's a number of processes that we'll be involved in. But it gives the uh, opportunity for our First Nation partners, the provincial and federal government, to have meaningful discussions and, and uh, transparent decision making. So, you know, we're pleased about that. Uh, we've worked hard to not just our association, but the national association, companies themselves, um, also the uh, Coalition of First Nations for Finfish Stewardship, that organization has worked hard to get our message out to Ottawa um, about the importance of salmon farming licenses, uh, you know, to meaningful reconciliation, as well as uh, providing socioeconomic benefits to rural coastal communities. And of course, you know, the opportunity to, to farm and produce a, a healthy, uh, climate-friendly, affordable seafood and food security is so important right now. So, so those were our key messages about the importance and, and why salmon farming licenses mattered. 
So I think we're feeling encouraged that we're, you know, we're going to have an intense year to two um, of, of, pro, of overlapping processes. Uh, but again, uh, the opportunity to have dialogue uh, is, is a good thing. It gives us that, that opportunity that we need. And as you were saying, it must have been like a sigh of relief uh, to have the court rule in the favor of the salmon farmers. But behind the scenes, was it a very different picture at the beginning of the year? What was it like and what kind of conversations you had with the industry yeah. leaders over the few months? You know, salmon farming in British Columbia has is, is always been challenging. Uh, you know, the, the public eye is, is watching. And, and at the same time, you know, we are very conscious that we are operating in a public space, in a marine environment, and we take that responsibility very seriously. So, um, you know, the conversations we've had have, have been important ones. Um, within the industry, I must say that, you know, even though companies have different perspectives and different plans, they're very collegial. Um, and, you know, at a time of the crisis, really, uh, everybody has, uh, you know, come together and, and we're very united on the things that matter. Uh, we all feel very strongly in, about the importance of meaningful reconciliation, about the importance of taking care of our employees and, and, and their families, about the value that we bring to British Columbia and Canada. So uniting around those values really sort of fueled us and uh, I think, you know, held us together. So sometimes that's the benefit of a crisis. So we've had some really honest and direct and encouraging conversations. I'm very curious. Where were you exactly when you heard uh, the news about uh, renewing the BC salmon uh, licenses? You know, I mean, I guess that last week, uh, it was all a bit exhausting because, you know, it, it, we were told, well, it's not today, but it might be tomorrow. It's not, it's not today, but it might be tomorrow. <laughs> so, I, so I think all of us were a bit kind of drained and everybody put so much energy into uh, getting our message out and talking to as many people as we could, talking to as many politicians that we thought would be involved in the decision. So I think people were, you know, kind of exhausted. And, and this is really, I mean, uh, so stressful for particularly for employees on the farms. Uh, so I think this has just been a lot of um, uh, tension and stress. And so some now some relief that we that we have licenses for two years and that we can actually get involved in some meaningful dialogue. Were you expecting this result or did you have uh, different expectations? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us really knew, but I guess I was, you know, at the end of the day, I think I was still, uh, you know, that sort of half, uh, the glass half full versus half empty, because I believe so much in this industry and what it can bring uh, to coastal communities and and I, I just, you know, I, it, that sort of passion, I think, for all of us kind of, of overrides the, the fear uh, that, that actually the right thing will happen at the end of the day. So I think I was never comfortable. None of us were comfortable. But I think that, uh, uh, you know, having that belief in the value of the industry kind of carried us. Mm -hmm. A very interesting thing that I found out is that you came into the BC SFA as an interim executive director during the, a tumultuous time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, can you share what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I've been working with the association uh, since, I guess, 2018 as sort of a senior advisor um, and before that with the national organization. So 
I, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the regulatory uh, framework. I'm familiar with the people and they're all very dear to me. So it wasn't really um, a difficult transition. It, you know, I, it, it seemed like a natural thing to, to sort of step up. And we have a really strong team at the association. We don't make, I don't make decisions unilaterally. We talk about everything. We, uh, we're, we're very much of a team effort. So really I'm just sort of the point person uh, with a really strong team uh, you know, beside me, not behind me. So it, it hasn't really been, uh, I mean, it's been stressful for everybody, but it was, uh, it was fine to step into, I, I wasn't sort of overwhelmed simply because I, I knew what the industry was all about. And is the pace a little bit slower now, or are you still? Well, it, you know, everybody's kind of taking a deep breath before another, you know, we get busy because we've got uh, the transition process. We have the Discovery Island process that will run till the end of, end of December. We have area-based management that's going to be piloted. So there's an awful lot of overlapping processes and initiatives that we have to uh, be very focused on. So I think we know that the next year to two is going to be extremely busy. So right now we're all sort of taking a deep breath. Are you excited for them or are you scared? Like, how do you feel about the next two years? Oh, no, I think, uh, and what get, I guess gets me excited is that, um, you know, we've always had First Nations that are supportive of the industry, but, you know, particularly in the areas that we operate. Uh, but they have come together and to form uh, a coalition with a very strong voice about rights and title, about self-determination, about uh, the need to talk about how they want salmon farming uh, done in their communities. And I think that's probably the, 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 the most significant thing in all of this is that that has brought them together. And uh, you know we really look forward to working with them in partnership as we go forward because what, what they want is really what matters at the end of the day, is how they want to see uh, the questions that they have need, that need asking. We want to answer them. Uh, we want to work with them to, uh, you know, to, to give them the kind of comfort they need. So I think that's the, that's the really good news. Um, but you know, we know it's going to be hard work. Just, uh, just uh, processes are hard work there's a, and there, these are overlapping. So I think everybody sort of knows we have to be um, really energetic and motivated to do this, but, uh, but yeah, it's an opportunity for sure. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's gonna be a hard time, but definitely exciting. I can't wait to see what happens next. But switching the conversation a little bit, I've been trying to do my homework about you and digging a little bit deeper about your career path and what, were, what was your first job, for example, and I couldn't find it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ask you that today. Oh, gosh, my first job. Uh, it, well, I've, I've been in the aquaculture industry for about 25 years. Before that, I worked in the dairy industry. I guess it's been about a 40 year career. So, so but always in the agri-food sector. Uh, okay. I've always been passionate about, uh, you know, farmers and growing healthy food, uh, whether it mm -hmm. was milk or, uh, or whatever. So uh, moving to aquaculture was a different environment, uh, but it, it was still, uh, you know, that same value of, of working hard to produce a, a healthy food product. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's kind of been the theme. Okay, well, was that the reason why you switched to the aquaculture industry? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, actually, I moved from um, 
from Alberta uh, for, and, and I knew I was coming back to British Columbia and uh, that was the opportunity that was available, available to me at the time. They were looking for an executive director at the BCT Shellfish uh, Association. So that's kind of just, it was sort of a natural transition. That's great. Do you like, uh, do you like British Columbia? Oh, it's home for my husband and I. So it, I knew we knew we were coming back here at some point. Because it's pretty cold weather in Alberta and then you switch to BC. I lived in Ottawa <laughs> for a few years, you know, when I was working with the National Association. Um, so, which is fine too. I really loved that job as well. But this was always sort of the, we knew we were headed west. That's very interesting. Uh, you moved a lot. So, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so British Columbia is your uh, favorite place because it's home. Absolutely. What do you remember about your first job? Actually, when I when I was uh, my first job was in government as a food marketing officer, so promoting Alberta food products. So I guess that you know th those are the sort of the similarities is that um, I've always worked with farming organizations, whether they've been terrestrial or aquatic, uh, and you know farmers are farmers. They um, there's not that much difference, and so. Mm -hmm. I guess in, in actual fact, I've been doing the same kind of thing for a long time, just in, in different sectors. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting, Ruth, because I always like to ask uh, uh, women that I interview about this because like seeing where you started and where you ended, it's, uh, it gives everyone hope, right? It gives me, it, it, uh. it encourages me uh, personally on a daily basis to be like, no, I, I can do this. Um, like we always want to see women in senior roles and in leadership positions and that's basically the whole uh, point of our podcast right to encourage women to do that and there's some really uh, amazing women in this sector i mean i just i'm uh, really honored to work with so many of them here in british columbia it's just it's just a real treat yes i bet and it's because 50 percent of this industry is women right so yeah and and uh you know really appeals to a a younger uh, i mean we've got uh, you know so many uh young people under the age of 35 working in the sector so that that makes it vibrant and exciting as well exactly um and i hope we we give these women more exposure yeah uh, i, I do too i'll give you a long <laughs> a long list of people to talk. <laughs> thank you very much okay <laughs> so how would you describe your role as executive director of the BC Salmon Farmers Association? Yeah, I think I mentioned that, um, you know, we're really a strong team. So that, and that's uh, my predecessor, uh, John Paul Fraser, really kind of established that uh, environment that he was very much of a, a team player and, and we've, we've maintained that. So, um, and I, I would say it even goes beyond uh, just the, uh, staff at the association. We have a, a really close relationship with our board and we meet regularly and, you know, they, they put a lot of time and energy into helping sort of guide the association. So, uh, you know, my job is, is, uh, is supported by a lot of other people. I don't feel mm -hmm. like I'm in this alone. Uh, and so, so that makes it fun and it also uh, makes it uh, not so scary. So if you weren't uh, recording this podcast uh, today with us, what will you do, be doing at the moment? Well, I actually have a, a meeting with a minister, a provincial minister this afternoon. I think I'm, I'm organized for that, but probably I would be uh, preparing for that and thinking about what I wanted to say and all that. So, Oh, wow. I feel so lucky now that you're sitting with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's uh, the kind of kind of thing we do, right? It's it's um, uh, personal relationships and uh, are always so critical in developing in government, whether it's uh, local government. Uh, actually, I think uh, this afternoon or is tomorrow, meeting with a, a group of uh, mayors to talk to to them about what what's happened and what's going to happen. So. You know, it's those personal relationships with mm -hmm. uh, with people with people that are interested and in involved in our in our sector. Uh, that's really what the job a lot is 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 developing mm -hmm. those personal relationships. Do you get to visit farms a lot or no? I do. I've been on a lot of farms over uh, the, my career, and it's amazing how uh, you know even in just a few years, the innovation on the on the farms is just so rapid that. Uh, I, you know, I, I need to get updated every few years and, and mm -hmm. get out on another tour because there's a new piece of equipment, there's a new uh, operational practice, there's, um, there's a new piece of infrastructure, it's, it's constantly innovating so it's, mm -hmm. I need to, I need to get out on those tours as well. And we certainly try to get as many uh, people out on tours as well, because anytime anybody has been out on a farm, even if they were a skeptic uh, before, they aren't afterwards. They, they actually get to see how the fish are cared for and, and the degree of technology and sophistication that, uh, that goes into farming salmon. That's, it's interesting that you say that because uh, you were saying that most of what this job requires is having conversations with these industry leaders, right? But every now and then you need some hands-on experience. You can't just read about it and you just need, you need to see it in action. Very true. When we first approached you to be part of this podcast, you were still in the thick of it. <laughs> you and the members of the association were working hard on a number of campaigns to try and contest the DFO's refusal to renew the 79 salmon farming licenses. So uh, during this time, what sort of initiatives were you working on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I think about it, I think there's sort of three areas that we were really active in. The first was research. When uh, when we realized that, uh, I guess it was soon after the Discovery Island decision, and that the licenses were coming due, all the licenses were coming due at the end of June, we commissioned a, a socioeconomic study to look at the potential impact if the licenses uh, were not to be renewed, just so that everybody understood uh, what, what the potential uh, impact was for British Columbia and Canada the number of jobs and the number of, of spin-off implications. So, so that piece of research, I think, was kind of critical to form some of our messaging, some of the messaging of the companies. Um, and uh, that was a, a valid and, and really important third-party piece of research. Um, I think the other role, I would say, is, um, is coordination. I mean, most of the direct contact with politicians and officials were made by the companies themselves. Um, they did a lot of uh, government relations, uh, but our role was sort of a coordinating role where we had meetings, you know, oftentimes twice a week, talking about, uh, you know, what we knew, uh, who was talking to who, what, what. So we were sort of that kind of a uh, facilitator coordinator to, to bring everybody together. And the other one I think is uh, we did a fair bit of communication particularly around telling decision makers about the sound science, the sound and peer reviewed science that had already been done for our, our sector uh, to give them confidence that in fact, 
you know, there have been multi uh, studies to show that salmon farming is actually not a driver uh, in, in um, the abundance of wild fish and that actually wild and farmed can coexist here in the Pacific Ocean. So, so that, you know, even, even decision makers weren't uh, all that familiar with that science that was, uh, that was conduct has been conducted over years. So I, I would say those were the three roles that, you know, the research, the coordination, and the dissemination of, of, of that uh, important science information. And rather than asking you what's next, I want to ask you what can others learn from the industry's, industry's experience at BC? You know, that's interesting. I, I always think that BC is kind of a microcosm uh, for other jurisdictions uh, internationally. And, you know, what we've learned, and I think uh, others uh, can take away is, you know, the, the growing importance of, of reconciliation. I think that's, uh, you know, the, the coastal, coast of BC has changed a lot in the fact that now there's First Nations that, that want to not only get involved in salmon farming, but speak up for their rights and titles around this issue. You know, that I think uh, we all need to be mindful of. And, and so, you know, this has really been reconciliation in action. Uh, and we're learning and uh, um, as we go too. But that's been a learning that I think others maybe um, could take away. Um, and the other thing is that uh, the importance of having uh, a really strong unified approach. I mean, again, I think I mentioned it earlier that, you know, all the companies have their own particular plans and perspectives, but mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, everybody sees the value in being united and going forward with some really common um, values and, and messages. And that I think has served us well and, you know, could serve any uh, sector well, it doesn't just have to be aquaculture. And the other learning is, is the importance of peer-reviewed science. You know, that really has been the foundation for what has built our industry. And we continue to evolve and improve based on new science. And so, uh, you know, we're always reiterating the importance of that, the importance to keep doing science and uh, to learn from that, uh, you know, really good peer-reviewed sound science. Um, and so that has, uh, that has given us something to, uh, to go forward with. So those are the things maybe that, that come to mind off the top that mm -hmm. others could learn from. That's very interesting. And I know you touched on this a little bit, but would you say that this conflict that the industry uh, has experienced with the Canadian government, does this speak to a larger challenge for the aquaculture industry as a whole? I think it might in, in the sense that what this really means is that we all of us need to take take farming in the ocean really seriously, and we do, but but never sort of uh, lose sight of developing those strong relations with First Nations, developing strong relationships with your local governments, wherever you can to to build those alliances going forward. Because you know, again, I think I've mentioned is that farming in the ocean is is different than than even terrestrial farming. You know, we we have that um, that responsibility because we're operating in a public environment. 
So being really mindful of, of having those strong alliances uh, serves you well if there is a, a political challenge. And, and you know, all jurisdictions have those from time to time. Um, but when you have, you know, you're, you're, you're strongly linked with partners and the industry is strong to begin with, um, it, it serves you well in whatever challenge that you might confront. That's very interesting. And uh, I agree with you on so many points. But I, I want to ask you something, and uh, I'm not going to ask you uh, where do you see this situation in five years, but I want to ask you where do you want to see it in five years, not where it is actually going. You know, I, I think the next one to two years will be very, very interesting and fruitful in terms of hearing from First Nations. Uh, you know, they're interested in more uh, involvement in monitoring and science. Uh, and that's happening now. So I think we'll see more of that and more partnerships with, so that they do their own science and can feel confident that the decisions they make in their territories are the right ones. We'll see, I think, more, you know, them uh, even become more vocal and strong in, in their, um, their self-determination uh, in the future. And that's exciting because, you know, we, we all support reconciliation provincial government does, federal government does, but this is reconciliation in action. This is really meaningful. Uh, and and it's, uh, you know, it's just so exciting to see what salmon farming has done for some of these communities. Um, it's taken them out of poverty. And, and so to, to see that we could, we could you know, do, do important work together uh, and see that flourish is, you know, it's just very heartening to see that. So I guess I'm excited about that. And I'm excited at the end of the day that, you know, this industry has always evolved and, and innovated. So and we'll continue to do that. I mean, this transition process will uh, make that maybe more formal, but we've always been doing it. And we've always been learning from science and getting better at what we do. And so now we have, you know, sort of a formal process that that will fit into. But, you know, we'll, we'll be better at the end of the day is how I see it. And, and I think the, you know, we, what we need to do is work harder at getting the public trust. Uh, we, but you know, first of all, we, we, I think we'll work hard with the partners around the table and you know, share, do as much as we can to share that with the public so that uh, they're not so fearful of an industry that they don't understand. So following up on uh, what you were saying about the indigenous community, uh, what is BC uh, doing at the moment to make sure uh, the voice of the Indigenous community is heard? What steps are being taken? You, you know, there's a fine line where we're, we're being supportive, but at the same time, we may not always even agree uh, with, with some of the things that come forward and to, to realize that that's okay because uh, they're the ones that, that need to be comfortable with how, and one community may be different than, a, than the next in terms of one may be comfortable with this particular practice, another one isn't. So we need to accept that and, and, and allow that to unfold um, and, um, and support that. So, you know, the, the coalition uh, of First Nations for Finfish Stewardship that has been organized, I see that as probably being an important uh, partnership with ours so that we, you know, may, may take on initiatives together, um, who knows? But I think that will be an important uh, group that will be closer aligned with over the years. I'd like to end the episode with a round of quick last thoughts, but they're gonna be about Ruth Salmon, 
uh, and about your personal experience uh, throughout your career. Uh, so the first one is, what is the best advice uh, you ever received? Hmm. You know, uh, I've been working for boards, uh, association, board of directors, basically most of my career. And, um, you know, I think it's really, really important to uh, uh, sort of let them uh, lead. I mean, it, as an executive director, we want to provide advice and guidance and, and uh, thoughts. And at the same time, making sure that they uh, they're the ones that are actually sort of driving the bus, you know, like that, that we're as, as, as staff and as an executive director, that we're supporting what actually the industry, what wants to happen. Um, and so being really mindful of that, uh, listening and paying attention and not uh, pushing ahead with, with an idea without, without it being solidly an idea of the boards. Um, and, and that has, I think, you know, sort of, uh, been helpful to me to uh, to sort of listen to that kind of guidance because they're the ones that are involved in their business. You know, I'm I'm supporting that, but they're the ones that know the best. And so, uh, being mindful of what our members are interested in, want, keeping in touch with them, uh, you know, not losing touch. I think that's something I've learned early on, and it has has proven to be um, to be helpful. What advice would you give to your younger self? Gosh. Um, <laughs> I know. Everyone is stuck on this question. Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, the younger self uh, has lots of fears of, uh, you know, standing up in front of people and talking. And, and, and that already comes with time, right? It, it comes with age that you feel like you have, uh, it's, you have something to say. Uh, so it's tough because I think uh, the younger self uh, really uh, gets better with age, and I'm not sure how you change that. Is just um, just having having courage to to do the best you can, and and it gets easier. Is there something you would have done differently if you went back in time? Mm, I actually don't think so. It the the range of experiences I've had with various sectors has been helpful. My early training as a food marketing officer when I was in my early 20s, uh, you know, has, has helped me do what I do today. So uh, I don't have, I'm not big on regrets. That's, that's amazing. Mm. I assume you had great mentors. I have had some wonderful mentors over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree because great mentors uh, are the ones who give you the confidence uh, to go mm. forward. So uh, that's what I felt when you were talking yeah, uh, about I, not having regrets. Yeah. And I have viewed my, uh, the people that I work with, not that I work for, you know, there's, there's just really been a great team approach and uh, we've become friends, uh, not only, you know, right now with the BC salmon farmers, which is very true, but with every board that I've worked for, you know, we've, I've seen it as a team approach and uh, that's has made it way more interesting. How about mentees? You have mentees right now? Oh, maybe I think so. We've got some, you know, younger staff members that uh, that ask lots of good questions. So, probably, yeah. <laughs> like me right now. No, <laughs> asking, no, no, no. Asking all no. the questions. <laughs> good questions. Good questions. That's good. And last but not least, uh, what is your favorite fish pun or joke? Oh, I think the best. I mean, you know, the fact that I have my last name as Salmon is. 
uh, <laughs> has actually probably yeah. served me well because uh, politicians that might have forgotten who I was don't forget me because I've got this really weird name that links with what I do. So it's just one of those things that it's uh, it's <laughs> I, I didn't change my name for the job, but it's just it's been a, a good introduction to, um, you know, to make people feel a bit more comfortable that I've got this really, really odd name. Uh, it's not odd. I feel like you were born for this yeah, industry. I guess. Right? You were... I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's great. And no it, one will ever forget you. Destiny. Oh, goodness. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. Thank you so much for this conversation. A lot of important topics that we addressed. And uh, it's so great that we actually take the time and really dig into your insights about the industry and what's been happening uh, and what you've learned from meeting with different aquaculturists, uh, especially those in the indigenous community, who I don't feel get enough uh, of a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that was one of the goals you mentioned that we want to make sure they do get a seat at the table going yeah. forward. That's changing. Uh, That's right. It is. And I, and I can't wait what's, uh, what's going to happen next, what to see uh, what BCSFA's journey is going to look like next. And uh, thank you so much, Ruth, for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting. It's been fun. What an intriguing conversation we had. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. It's definitely been fascinating to be able to speak with Ruth, who has been witnessing all these incidents firsthand. Our show notes with links, photos, and more extras can be found on our website, aquaculturenorthamerica.com slash women. The Women in North American Aquaculture Summit, or WINAS, will take place on September 8th. Register for free now on our website and stay up to date as we announce more speakers soon. If you want to support this podcast, please share this with everyone in your network. And please join us in thanking our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Thank you for listening, everyone.